Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jilly Clark. Uh, welcome to the program. You are listening to the Jilly Clark Radio Hour. I'm your host, Joey. What is it? Monday, October the 2nd, 2017. And what a day it has been. I'm just going to be straight up, folks. My brain feels like a cracked and scrambled egg at the moment. Because we've been trying to figure out, is Tom Petty dead or is he just on live support? We get so caught up with everything going on. Of course, the shooting that happened in Las Vegas. You know, the album of the day that I was listening to over the weekend, I went into my little hermit hole and and forgot about the world at large. And one of the lines is, Hurricane ripped the ceiling of a church and killed everyone inside. Turn on the telly and every other story is telling you somebody died. And when I turned on the telly, or I looked at my smartphone now, because we are 30 years after those lines were written, that's what the news is about. Somebody died. Another gunman. But, folks, we have a man on the airwaves tonight to help me with my scrambled egg brain. He did just give blood today, though, so he might be a little loopy just like I his name is Rimzo Martinez. He's a political commentator, campaign consultant, and multimedia producer living in the D.C. area. Best known for his podcast, The Rimzo Republic, which reaches thousands of listeners each episode across many on-demand platforms and networks. I am proud to say I've been a guest on Rimzo's show, and I'm proud to say, Rimzo, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. How are you tonight, man? Joey, I want to say I'm doing great, but with everything I'm looking at online, it seems like I should be in a more you know somber mood. It, it, it's quite strange because everyone on TV, everyone on radio right now, it's like they're trying to put up tears. But call me callous. I'm so used to seeing such travesty on TV, even when it's hitting the homeland. I, I just look at it and it's like, well... How, how, how do I respond now? How, how do we respond now? What do we say that hasn't already been said 20 million different ways? Right. Right. And, and I was texting you or messaging you earlier in the day that, you know, this as comes in new forms. Like, the more creative we become, the more capable we become and, like, be able to provide for people, we also become more capable of destruction. Now, I don't know, and we're going to find answers, folks. Everybody wants answers quick. They start weaving conspiracy theories. This is a strange incident that happened in Las Vegas, and it's not going to be the main topic of our show tonight, Remzo. It's There's too much going on, and I'm looking at my TV monitor here in the studio, and they're showing camera footage of people running around hitting the deck. Though, I do have to say, to your point about being desensitized, did you see the video of the guy who essentially, uh, for FCC radio persons, called the shooter a wussy, was standing up flipping off the shooter? Yeah, that was... <laughs> that, that was one of those moments where it's like, okay, obviously this isn't real. Because you watched that video a few minutes before that gentleman decided to do that. 
um, you know, you hear the gunshots go around, you hear somebody say, oh, no, it's just blank, it's part of the show. No. Uh, no. No, that's, that's not the case here. No, not the case at all. Frightening stuff. But I want to get back on topic here and talk about you. Because you actually have some connections here to, from where I'm broadcasting from, the River Region. How did... I thought we had first discovered each other, you know, at the Libertarian Republic. But you actually listened to News Talk 93.1 WACV. I did. I was driving to um, Auburn University. There was a Young Americans for Liberty regional conference going on at the time. And uh, my my iHeartRadio app, I'd gotten tired of that. I'm like, you know, I just want to really immerse myself in, you know, what other people who actually are residents of this region are listening to. So I listened to your show, and I was like, ah, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> but, yeah, I lived in uh, Alabama from 2013 through 2015. I attended uh, Marion Military Institute for two years. I got my associate's degree and my commission the uh, U.S. Army National Guard from there, and uh, you know, there, there's no other place like Sweet Home Alabama, because the people are kind, the sweet tea has actual sugar, and Nick Saban is a god amongst men. So, yeah, I, I do quite miss Alabama. This is kind of nostalgic for me to be calling in. Well, at first, oh, yeah. at the beginning of this year, I was not on the Gus bus, but I say War Eagle to you. Though Saban is up the competition, I can't deny that elf. Oh, I'm, I'm an Auburn not. fan. Exactly. I'm an Auburn fan. When you guys lose, you don't like riot around Tuscaloosa and Birmingham. So, <laughs> indeed. Well, and I'm looking at your your bio here on rimzorepublic.com. I encourage folks to go check it out, rimzorepublic.com. And it says here under 2013 when you were kind of listening in in Alabama uh, that you googled libertarian and life gets weird after that. dot dot dot. We have to explore how life started to get weird. Ah, uh, jeez. Um, <laughs> life got weird because it was, you know, I, I refer to 2013 as the year of contradictions. But before I can explain that, I've got to explain 2012. It yes. was the year I was Mitt Romney's worst volunteer. I was, uh, I was looking at where I wanted to go to school. And one of the things that, you know, you kind of have to do is you kind of have to show that you've got community service under your belt. So I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a fun time to get involved in politics. I was back home in Virginia at the time. I'm only a few minutes outside of the D.C. Beltway area. So I'm like, oh, you know what? The election's going on. I might as well go ahead and volunteer for a candidate. And the first person that came to my mind was Mitt Romney. And as I'm watching the 2012 election unfold, nothing like 2016, but back then it was the worst election ever. Um, I find that I'm not like a lot of my other Republican peers. At the time, the Republican Party was still waging a very intense, culture war. When I listened to Mitt Romney and Barack Obama debate, I saw very, very few, like, differences when they talked foreign policy. I knew up front that, you know, when you keep playing the same card over and over again, you're getting the same results, but you keep doing it to see if those results change. I mean, that's the very definition of insanity. So before I get really too involved, before I make one phone call or knock on one door, I basically just kind of ignore my email. So I was really Mitt Romney's first volunteer. <laughs> so around that time, the election comes and goes. Um, there's a young conservative club that a professor is putting on at my high school. So I joined it. I'm like, guys, how about we like actually do what we said we were going to do during those old Tea Party days? My Mom was really the driving force in my life for me to get involved in politics. She took me to every Tea Party rally in the area. 
And um, at the time, I'm like, hey, guys, how about we talk about the Constitution and free markets and, you know, the ideas of freedom, because freedom is much more appealing than collectivism. And I run for president of that club, and I end up losing to the guy who was the secretary for the Centerville High School Democrats. Mm-hmm. It was so weird. And I'm like, guys, what happened? And they're like, well, he knows how to win because he works for Obama and he won. So we just want to win. And I'm like, do you see that this is like the greatest joke he's pulling on you right now? And they're like, yeah, but what if we win? I'm like, you guys are literally asking the dumbest questions right now. (laughs) So I leave. I'm like, okay, conservatism is obviously dead. Uh, I'm going to do what any good millennial does. And I'm going to uh, ask Google to help me with all my life's problems. So I'm just Googling the stuff I believe, the things that make me different from others. And I'm just like, okay, where where am I going to pop up? Because I can't be the only person in the world to have these beliefs. So it's funny because that's kind of like what Justin Amash did years ago. And, you know, just like him, the results I got up were uh, Leswick von Mises and Frederick von Hayek and um, a whole bunch of other people. And I'm like, okay, who are these Austrian dudes? And from there, I mean, life got weird. Um, You know, libertarianism just really started hitting the zeitgeist around 2013, 2014 of the rise of Rand Paul. And um, even people that had been in the liberty movement for decades, um, for them, it was really kind of a urgent period. So I was the guy saying, okay, maybe we need to have a, a serious talk about the war on drugs. Maybe we need to have an actual conversation about our interventionist policies. Even going down to how can you say you're a Republican and how can you call yourself a conservative when all of your policies are progressive in nature? So from there, things got really weird. Being at a military school in Alabama, of all places, it was only me and a handful of other friends who uh, formed a libertarian student group. And it wasn't until I moved back to Virginia to finish off undergrad at Liberty University and I started getting involved in Beltway politics from there, I realized, wow, I'm not just on the fringe. I'm actually like in the heartbeat of the moment right now. You know, life got a little bit clear from there. But yeah, 2013, everything just got strange. Yeah, and 2013 was a good year because Obama decides not to bomb Syria. He The red line, so-called, is crossed. And he decides, oh, don't, well, let's not bomb him. And it actually looks like that war is, will soon be ended. I wonder what the U.S. has gained from trying to topple Assad for so long. It, that was strange. You had the, I think Snowden comes out around that time revealing the breadth and depth of the surveillance state. Rand Paul, I think, does his filibuster. Felt good to be kind of a libertarian, especially a libertarian in the conservative circles. But I think you're a perfect person to speak to the divides within the Republican Party and the conservative movement right now, Rimzo, because you've been there at the grassroots. How would you describe maybe the different factions on the right? It's... um it's a lot more difficult than splitting hairs because everyone, I actually had a, an op-ed published at the blaze around this time last year. And essentially I was saying, you know, what's the GOP going to look like after Trump? And for the most part, I, I reviewed that, um, that op-ed a few weeks ago. And while things have drastically changed, I did not see, uh, president Trump beating Hillary Clinton, but even with his victory, I have seen that, you know, a lot of it held true. The evangelical wing of the Republican Party really showed how hollow it was. It was willing to really give out all of its belief for the sake, all of their beliefs for the sake of winning. 
when you look at the libertarian wing, it essentially stayed here. It stayed stagnant despite, you know, the 3% popular vote that Gary Johnson and Bill Weld had. They didn't capitalize on the bigger movement that they could have. And because of that, I think the Libertarian Party, despite a lot of its uh, ballot access victories, even just the Libertarian movement, it's just kind of, it feels like it's still where it was about a year ago. I mean, a lot of people that voted third party are, are calling themselves Libertarians. It seems like these are the same people that jumped on the banana diet back in 2005 that thought, <laughs> Oh, if you eat nothing but bananas, you're going to lose weight and look great. Um, it was cool for some people, and now you see them going back to the Democratic Party or being the same neocons they were. But, you know, being up here in Virginia, it's quite strange. The country is always is focusing on us because we're a bellwether state. We have, um, you know, a, a large election here for the heart of the governorship and everything else. And as I'm getting more involved and in understanding uh, my local Republican Party here, it's it, it's I want to say it's complicated, but that's still a cop-out. I mean, you have people that are just Republicans because they were always Republicans. You have people that call themselves libertarians, but they're more willing to compromise on certain things to see growth, which I think I fall into that category sometimes. Um, I mean, the, the one thing I will say, and this is a positive, regardless of the different factions, regardless of the different you know ways in which people join the Republican Party, at least you have some diversity here. Um, I interviewed a Black Lives Matter protester near uh, Farragut West in D.C., and I've been to a few progressive rallies and Democratic uh, events, and you don't find a lot of diversity of thought. It's always, were you a Hillary guy or a Bernie guy? I mean, even then, that's as far as you're going to get. So I will say that overall, I'm optimistic for the future. Um, Everyone wants you to think the Republican Party is just continually you know, trying to destroy itself. But, you know, every day I'm meeting new activists, new candidates, new people that do have a passion for freedom. And I really think they get the short stick when it comes to the media portrayal of the conservative movement. So that's my two cents on that. Well, and, and Rimzo, I think you're right. You anticipated my next question, that I think you being in the grassroots, actually working with people at the party level, gives you a very different perspective than, say, somebody like myself sitting at this very humble perch, taking in national news, taking in independent media. And I don't know how to make heads or tails of it, because some days I'll get folks who say, yeah, I'm a libertarian. Then they're like all for the next war, even though it's not a defensive one. It's like, yeah, let's bomb the hell out of Syria. Or let's, it's, there doesn't seem to be much principle. It's almost like a libertarians, this hip new buzzword, as you're saying, the hip new craze that's out there. And folks are just jumping on the bandwagon. So do you think, and I think I know the answer to this, but it's for the audience's sake, that electoral politics for the sake of liberty can be a positive thing, or are there other ways to, say, influence folks outside of playing the, the party game? Um, the biggest turning point in my life is in my, um, I think it was my freshman year of college, and I had just finished reading Hostile Takeover by my old boss, Matt Gibby, and he uh, introduced me to a quote by Andrew Breitbart, which really has kind of become the mantra of my life, that politics is downstream of culture. And I didn't necessarily know what it was until I started losing campaigns. And mm-hmm. I was uh, jumping from campaign to campaign because I'm like, okay, these guys have my shared beliefs and we'll go affect policy and we'll save the world from there. And what I quickly realized was that you can have the best candidate with the best platform 
But if you don't have people that are willing to actually go out and go to the ballot box, it doesn't really matter because unless you change their beliefs, they're not going to come out and vote your way. So around that time, I realized that, you know, the, the progressives have a monopoly on culture. They have a monopoly on art, entertainment, academia. They really kind of tap into the lifeblood of, you know, the body politic, so to speak. So then when it's like, okay, why aren't they going out and voting for these liberty-minded, these conservative uh, positions, you know, the answer's right there. It's because they don't believe it to begin with. So I think before you could even really think of whether or not, oh, will this one candidate or will this campaign or will this measure uh, be the big end-all, be-all moment, um, I think you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment because the prior question to all of that should be, do we see a significant following? I think over the last several years, um, I mean, we've had a big significant change within the GOP specifically, and this is coming from somebody that was a card-carrying member and activist within the Libertarian Party up until about a year ago. Um, you know, like him or hate him, Marco Rubio, if he, if he is the definition of an establishment crony, then I think that the Tea Party won, because you look at the things that Marco Rubio, candidate Rubio, was running on when he was running for president, and those are things that most Republican establishment figures would have never spoken of. And then you have my favorite, Ted Cruz, who was out there leading the way, and behind him he had Rand Paul, and, you know, I'll give it to him, Ben Carson, to an extent when he was running. But, you know, what does it mean when you have, uh, you know, Mike Huckabee talking about auditing the Federal Reserve, and then you have Rick Santorum quoting Ludwig von Mises on the happy hour ticket? Right. These ideas take time. They're not going to just pop up overnight. It's not like a sheep gas station burrito. It just doesn't suddenly appear there. This stuff takes a long time, and I think that's why members in the conservative movement get really frustrated because they see everything as it has to be here right now. It's the end-all, be-all. Whereas when it comes to our progressive cousin, um, they're playing a, a game of you know 4D chess. They're looking out 500 years from now. Um, people don't realize that the person that really won this election was William Jennings Bryant because you have this guy who was an economic populist and he had very socialist-minded tendencies and he's forcing almost every of the top contenders in the 2016 election, you know, almost a century after his race, to uh, turn for full-on collectivist policies, whether they be domestic or economic. So the progressives are winning because they've taken the time to look at what matters. What matters isn't the next election. What matters is the election 10 years from now because you've got to, you know, lay the course down so you can actually get to that point. Well, and so, I, no, I, I don't think electoral politics is the most important thing. Amen. Because I completely agree with you, and I agree with Breitbart's statement that politics is downstream from culture. What I worried about, and I wrote this kind of flipping that statement on its head, that politics can pollute the river of culture. And instead of looking positively to how do we affect culture, how do we create some incredible movie or music or art in general or we start some you know new fad or club or we have influence over people in the heads of uh, corporations that i worry that people are so focused on politics and the political fight that they're forgetting creating positive culture they're forgetting what actually drives people at the end of the day which is the heart 
I believe. I would wish it was just as simple as making an argument that this is a better policy than that. But so much of politics, in my humble opinion, is sort of this emotional virtue signaling. And people have always signaled their virtues. This this happens in religion. This happens in high school. This happens in every social setting. You kind of signal, I'm part of this group or I'm part of that group. So what do you think about how the electoral politics sort of pollutes culture, that everything becomes about the political? Like you can't watch a freaking NFL game without it being some political matter now. The large issue is that everyone is so accustomed to hurting each other's feelings constantly that we constantly have the need to one-up each other. Mm. Um, You know, I, I fell into a bad habit of watching cable TV a lot more the last couple of months than I have the last several years of my life. And I, I actually fell in love with a, with a show with along with my girlfriend. We got hooked on a show called This Is Us. And, you know, it's, it's one of those feel-good dramas, really good, compelling story, but, you know, not to go into too much detail, um, the stuff that you're seeing on that show is stuff that you, you haven't seen on, like, other competing dramas on TV. Mm. And the remarkable thing about that is it's just a really good story. People have fallen out of love with just embracing art for art's sake and just enjoying things just for the sake of enjoying it because we're constantly afraid somebody is going to beat us or somebody is going to one-up us. It ultimately in lies the fear of, are they going to eventually control me? And when you get into that attitude, it just causes everything else to you know become a seed of destruction, so to speak. Um, you know, I one thing I told a group of uh, college libertarians I did my first college speaking event a couple weeks ago at Liberty University was uh, I told a couple of them you know go out and be the hero of your own story because revolutions never came from somebody sharing a bunch of memes on Facebook <laughs> I uh, I pulled a kind of ballsy move on my end and outside this uh, office I was currently working out a few weeks ago in DC there was a Black Lives Matter encampment like literally a few feet away from the entrance to the place where I work. And I went over to my editor and I said, ma'am, I want to go ahead and introduce myself to the Black Lives Matter encampment outside and I want to go ahead and do a story. And when I went over to my peers and I told them what I was going to do as I was getting my camera ready, they all looked at me and they're like, oh, well, best of luck, hope you don't land in the hospital and you know we had a laugh because we all see what's online and what's on tv so i went down and i introduced myself to the the coordinator of that encampment and after walking around and just looking at things we sat down for about an hour and believe it or not we had a beautiful conversation and you don't get to have that complete side of your insight and your worldview on something change unless you actually go out and be the hero of your own story collectivism forces us into one camp or another. You have to stick with these specific points or else the other people are just going to drown you out. And then again, if you diverge from the group thing, you'll be labeled a traitor to the cause or whatever. So individualism itself and just finding the reasons why you enjoy life is probably one of the things that we've fallen out of love with. We don't go out and explore. We don't go out and question. We don't go out and think new things. And then when it's time to go and do something unique, we're afraid of failure. So there you have the very human portions of it. But all in all, um, you know, there's there's no story about the individual anymore. 
Uh, I hated the last Hunger Games film mm. because it was a story of a uh, you know one collective versus another. The resistance was not made up of people. It was made up of people following somebody that was promising them not a grander future, but basically the same dictatorship but with a kinder face. Right. It's, um, it's like so many other things. When you take the individual out of the picture, when you turn everything into a competition, and when you're constantly pinning people against each other, the collective wins, regardless of either side, that the individual loses. Amen, man. And I love that you shared that story about uh, you going and actually talking with folks from Black Lives Matter despite disagreements. Because that's what I'm going to try to do and continue to do with this show is bring folks on from all walks of life, whether it's politics or religion or different musical tastes, whatever. I want to just get to know people. I think you're absolutely right that we get so caught up in the political fight, the collective group think. Uh, and, you know, you think a nation that talks about home of the free and the brave and individualism is what founded it. We're one of the most conformist nations out there it's uh and i'm not talking about even our modern era h.l minkin talks about this in the 20s the right thinking you have to you know have the certain signals to folks and it's long been a problem and i think it's generally a problem with politics we got to take a quick break here folks again we're talking to rimzo martinez check out his website rimzorepublic.com r-e-m-s-o republic.com and to take us out is, well, the album of the day. I did actually listen to this on vinyl earlier today because I was able to pick it up over the weekend. Prince's Sign of the Times. Oh, and it still fits today. It's still the Sign of the Times. Coming back, we'll continue to talk to Remzo a little bit more about what makes him personally feel free, his documentary making, and so much more. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Welcome back to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. This is your host, Joey. And this is off Sign of the Times. The song is, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. I love this damn song. Side three of Sign of the Times. There are three sides. It's a double LP. Side three's the best. With this song, If I Was Your Girlfriend, all that. My guest tonight... Rimzo Martinez. Rimzo, if you had to pick an album to put on vinyl or just like whatever you're listening to a lot these days, what album, what song do you go with? Oh, probably uh, Lonely Boy from the El Camino album by the Black Keys. I don't know why, but that song always puts the pep in my step. Oh, yeah, the Black Keys are great. I think they just did a recording. Like their last album was done at Muscle Shoals, which still has that unique sound to it. It, there's something about like this alternative rock mixed with like this Buddy Holly sense of humor that just I mean I, I'm a sucker for it. Absolutely. I mean it's one of the reasons why I love like White Stripes so much because they you know they take a lot of inspiration from them. But you know that whole thing where it's like you know this is rock for the punks, but it's 
good enough so that everyone and your grandma can enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Awesome, awesome. Now, I want to ask you more generally, you might have heard me ask this of folks before, but what does freedom mean to you? And I don't mean like a political dictionary definition. I mean, when you are out there doing something with your life, what makes you feel liberated and free? Anything goes. Um, when I can wake up in the morning, think of something I want to do, and go out and do it without having to ask for permission. I hate asking for permission to do things. Mm. I, I believe as long as you're not, you know, breaking the law, you're not, you know, doing something that would bring undue harm or anything like that to other people, go out and, you know, be free. I don't know why you have to go out, you know, ask for 20 million different ways to go ahead and do something which should be simple. Um, you know, with my brother and I running the Reps of Republic, uh, you know, we're, we're independent for sure. I'm not a big fan of the FCC, obviously, but... There are things that we want to say and there are things that we want to do that, you know, traditional outlets just aren't in favor of. And I'm not saying I want to, you know, make them conform to me. I'm just not going to conform to them. So when there's an outlet where I could do things my way and not have to ask for permission to do that, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So it's basically the ability to say, hey, I'm going to do something and nothing is going to stop me. Um, I mean, that there's nothing more refreshing than that, saying I was able to do this without asking for, you know, 20 different blessings from 20 different people, and look what I was able to create. Exactly. Now, you are not only doing the Rooms of Republic podcast, you're also getting into documentary making, filmmaking. How did you first think, I'm going to start making documentary films? Oh, this is going to sound kind of pitchy, but I was trying to get my Patreon program up and running mm -hmm. and as i'm watching other people that are in the same pundit field as myself i'm like i want to do something different so my brother and i had been wanting to do a spinoff from the rents republic that was very different from our regular podcast so at the time we were watching a paranormal lockdown on destination america on <laughs> tv and at one point we started arguing and we were like hey we could do that better i bet we'd probably find cooler stuff and from there, we started off our uh, paranormal spinoff series, Haunted Republic. And we released our first film back in July, and uh, it's been fun since. So, you know, being a political commentator and journalist in D.C., going around down south investigating old insane asylums and jails and churches is kind of a, kind of a divergent path. So it was around that point where we're like oh you know we've actually mastered the art of filmmaking at least at an amateur level we seem to be doing pretty good at this we're getting some pretty good ratings why not go and try other things so it got to the point where ryan my brother and he's the producer for the remster republic um you know we're both managing the podcast he's now the executive producer for Haunted Republic. So for the Haunted Republic series, it's all Ryan. I'm just there to host, narrate, investigate. And uh, with some of my personal projects, I'm currently working on the docu-series with a few colleagues of mine called Nothing Burger, the media versus you, where it's going to be a 12-part um, episodic series. Each episode's going to be about five minutes long. And essentially the purpose of that is to you know, put the media on trial in the court of public opinion. So I'll be doing man-on-the-street interviews in the most powerful city in the world, Auburn, Alabama. No, I'm just joking, <laughs> uh, Washington, D.C. Um, I'll be conducting a few town halls at some uh, universities and some one-on-one -on -one interviews with people because there's, um, 
there's a deficit when it comes to conservative filmmakers, especially in the documentary field. Um, you know, documentaries are predominantly, you know, super leftist. I mean, you can just go on Netflix or Hulu and find that. And I'm not jumping in there to go out and put the most conservative or libertarian propaganda film series out there. I'm just saying, you know, we always complain. It's like, oh, I wish somebody would do this. I, oh, wouldn't it be great if somebody did that? And it's like, oh, you know, this series is my idea. I know nobody's going to do it unless I go out and do it, so I might as well try. And, uh, you know, the purpose of it isn't really just to throw out my bias out there. It's to really ask a question from somebody that I know can actually do the whole thing objectively myself which is sad when you think about it, because that sounds very vain. But going forward, I mean, the purpose of it isn't to get the gotcha interviews. The purpose of it isn't to ask loaded questions. It's to actually go out and have conversations with people. Because don't you think people on the left feel the same way about the media as those on the right? I mean, the the strong answer is yes. Everyone feels like the media is kind of out for them. Nobody knows where they can get objective journalism from, or at least authentic commentary, you know, commentary that's not bought and paid for by other people. So it's going out there and just trying to have a serious conversation with America, especially in D.C., where, you know, life feels like it's traveling 20 million miles per second. So when it comes to this, I mean, it goes back to the Breitbart quote, engage the culture. I could go ahead and write a pretty lengthy white paper about my assumptions and do a little bit of research, but you want to go ahead and give it to people in a way, in a medium, in which they're more likely to engage with. Uh, when I was devising Nothing Burger, I was like, hey, am I going to go ahead and have this be a, an hour-long film just like Haunted Republic? No. Because for, you know, a paranormal ghost hunt entertainment investigation, you know, people are going to want to watch that for an hour. When it comes to something like this where you're trying to get people that are politically apathetic who probably need to hear this, you want to go ahead and give it to them in small chunks. So whereas Haunted Republic is really kind of, you know, it's a show that we do for fun for our viewers, the show that you can have a life outside of politics. This one is taking a different step because now it has a more serious tone. We're treating it differently. And while my brother manages the Remster Republic and he's off, uh, you know, handling everything of Haunted Republic, it's really just me and a handful of folks trying to make this docu-series work. So it's all about finding the things that there's a deficit in and then going out and doing it in a way that, you know, is actually going to work. Now, being in independent media, of course, I would assume I I find it silly sometimes with my friends on the right where they yell about the mainstream media, you know, of course, NBC, CBS, ABC, but I would also include in the mainstream media Drudge Report, Fox News, like plenty of big right wing. Like Drudge had billions of hits last year. Of their mainstream, uh, it's interesting that that it's usually a partisan take um, when it comes to you know taking on. I'm so tired of the media, but I'm interested in this perspective. For instance, do you worry that the world of independent media is maybe in trouble when Google start, starts demonetizing, you know, say, YouTube videos? When you start to see these platforms try to take a little more control over content that really, you know, when a Trump video is taken down, they blame the evil evil globalist. When uh, Young Turks is maybe demonetized, I don't know if they actually have been, they're yelling at the Trump government. It's almost like they're pitting people against each other, but it's really about these corporations keeping their market share. Well, I mean, when I, I think 
here's what we're going to do. I want to go ahead and just define our terms because that's extremely important. Because if I'm throwing out a term that somebody uses differently, I might as well be speaking Chinese to them. So when I say mainstream media, I'm talking about media which is highly in bed with corporations, which is incredibly in bed with the state. So anything that lacks any type of real man-on-the-ground reporting. And there are, you know, there are box outlets and everything else where they do actual stories. But when you go ahead and look at the people that are doing 24-7 news constantly, and they're the big names in media, um, you know, smart, smart money's going to go ahead and say to those people, they're not actually authentic, they're not objective, they're not actually going to go ahead and give a good story. They're going to go ahead and just regurgitate what's on the teleprompter. Um, the purpose of the corporate media, and I prefer corporate media more than mainstream, because just like you said, mainstream, and I'm making an assumption here, so tell me if I'm wrong. If you're going to go ahead and throw judge report in the category of mainstream media, then I think we might as well throw Vice News and Infowars in there as well. And when I call Infowars and Vice mainstream media, people, you know, they want to go ahead and puke. <laughs> so that's why I really try and narrow it down a little bit more. I say the corporate media. Um, you know, as someone that makes no money from YouTube anymore because all my stuff was labeled as one thing or another, yeah, it is harsh. Um, I think what we need to do is we need to stop vilifying everything that's out there. Obviously, Google is now acting like Big Brothers 1984, but you know, when uh, when Patreon was getting hit a couple months ago, I actually wrote something saying, "Well, I'm going to stay on Patreon." I know the people that work at Patreon are left of center. I know the guy that started it is the progressive. But if you actually listen to the Rubin Report interview of Dave Rubin that the guy from Patreon did, he blatantly says, if you just follow the terms and conditions, you have nothing to worry about. Right. Because his purpose isn't to go ahead and just create a liberal you know, patron echo chamber. It was to actually empower people that are creating something of value. Because ultimately, Patreon wants to make money. He's a good capitalist. So I said, based off his argument and all that stuff, I'm staying on because I agree with what they're doing, and we could coexist and make a profit in peace. So when it comes to, you know, independent media, mainstream media, corporate media, it all comes down to this. Where are you getting your information from, and how authentic are they going to be? I hate it when I see uh, journalism students, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I've done more, uh, not I've broken more stories. I've conducted way more interviews. I've been published at more sites than most um, people with a journalism degree. And, you know, my degree was at uh, politics and policy, and I went to Liberty University. So the journalism recruiting pool there wasn't really great for anyone that wasn't even a journalism major to begin with. But I hate it when I see people say, oh, you know, I want to go out, you know, break a story or I want to go cover an event. And I, I just look at them, it's like, just go do it. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, I don't have a ton of equipment. It's like, you have an iPhone. I've, I've shown stuff on my iPhone. Just go there and videotape it, take pictures. And it's like, oh, well, you know, then they go really desperate. It's like, oh, well, I don't have a car. And I'm like, hitchhike, do something. <laughs> but, like, there's so many different ways to actually go out and report a story. If you're like, here's how you be a reporter, folks. If you want to be a journalist, know who, what, when, where, why, have your sources, get some exclusive information you can't get elsewhere and publish it on a site that doesn't have .wordpress.com on it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> well, and I have found, and we've both been in some of the same circles, there is a lot of regurgitating that goes on. 
uh, there's a lot of copy and paste, and I've been a beneficiary of it, so I'm not necessarily completely knocking it. But a lot of what claims to be news is really opinion, and it is constantly sharing that opinion. That's where I'm very worried that there isn't... I can't think of many objective news services even and maybe and then I get to start thinking is that ever actually been the case is there ever actually been an objective news source or has there always been sort of the pamphleteers and partisan rags sort of going at it for driving the narrative that's why I included Drudge and mainstream because Drudge drives so much traffic they drive the conversation so much but you know I wouldn't include and it's just a matter of like how many people they speak to, um, and also what they link to in many cases. Yeah, well, it's interesting when you start to look at it from that point. I read an article a colleague forwarded to me, but, you know, for, believe it or not, in the year 2017, there's a, there's a news deficit in most of America. Mm-hmm. Now, what is a news deficit? A news deficit is when you don't, or when you know what's going on a state away, but you can't even know what's going on in your own, you know, city or county or neighborhood. Exactly. Um, you know, a large number of city newspapers and outlets are just completely, um, you know, dying off day by day because what they've learned is that news doesn't sell opinion cells. Uh, I've never called myself, you know, a journalist, like, a, you know, just a flat journalist. I've only recently become an investigative journalist, but for the most part, I still call myself an advocacy journalist because I'm doing journalist-type work, but I have an opinion. And the thing I learned really fast was that, you know, it's going to come out eventually. I might as well tell people what my bias is, and then maybe because we formed a little bit of trust, they'll go ahead and believe me. Um, You know, for the most part, a lot of people that are on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, who say that they're journalists, they're not. They haven't done journalistic work in, like, decades. They're commentators. They're pundits. At worst, they're just people that they bring on to go ahead and scream and a few uh, talking points out online. So I don't think the problem now is that, you know, the news is biased. The news has always been biased, and I go to plenty of biased places. Uh, One of my favorite sites to go to is actually a liberal site. It's Vice News. Another liberal site I really like is The Intercept. Not because they're the best places out there, but because I know the stuff they're talking about is usually grounded in actual research and investigation. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that Vice News puts on Facebook, you know, it's almost always attacking Trump. But I think Vice News, uh, they're putting out some of the greatest documentaries that you could possibly see right now. I would have never known about the North Korean slave trade going on in Europe if it weren't for Vice. I wouldn't know about half the other you know, remarkable things about the world that are going on that are actually important if it weren't for Vice. And same goes with The Intercept. I think The Blaze... Um, you know, they've cut a lot of their commentators down for the, you know, for the written articles specifically, but the blaze has done really good when it comes to breaking news and reporting actual stories. So the bias isn't the problem. It's the concealment of bias and it's the inability to be honest, because if you just tell people, Hey, here's where I'm coming from. Here's my slant. They'll be able to actually see the story more. It's when you're giving something as fact and when you're basically saying everyone else is a liar, don't read them. That's the biggest problem. You're poisoning the well. Amen. And I love Vice News. I have to second what you just said. Like, I, how did they get a reporter embedded with ISIS? I mean, there's just so much that they do that 
And this is what I mean by politics polluting culture, that everything has become this sort of nationalized opinion echo chamber and everything being a bit hyperbolic. But instead of, and I love what you're doing, you're essentially saying stop being a consumer who regurgitates what you heard from some news source and go out there yourself if you're so upset by it and be entrepreneurial when it comes to finding out what's going on in your community or going on with whatever issue. Actually do the hard work and find out for yourself. I think there are a lot of folks just sharing memes too much to a point you made earlier. Exactly. You know, sharing the same old meme about Hillary Clinton killing people is not going to go ahead and change the mind of your progressive cousin. What's actually going to do it is actually, you know, treating them like a fellow human being. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a saint. I've gotten into, you know, tussles with people on the left and stuff. I've been trolling the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and apparently now people want me to move to Puerto Rico to run for mayor of San Juan. So life is really weird right now. But it's it's coming down to this. People want to actually, they want to stop arguing, I think. The collective migraine of America is getting to the point where people just want to calm down. I think I can tell you the day that the Justice League movie comes out in about a month, um, you're not going to have as many fights online, you know, on on TV as possible. Because, you know, America, we want something to bring us together. We want something to have fun with. Uh, That's why so many people are tired of the NFL, because that used to just be something that we could put aside and have fun with. And, you know, it's like you said, politics has just polluted everything. Politics isn't fun, but, you know, what's fun? Freedom is fun. And it's freedom for somebody to be progressive and for me to be a libertarian and for somebody else to actually think that Alabama football is great when, in fact, it's actually Auburn. So, you know, it's the right to be wrong sometimes. Exactly. Now, I... Well, of course it's Auburn. It's always Auburn. And I've noticed in this business that when we use the same talking points because that is part of what this station does we talk from a conservative perspective and we're pretty transparent about that but people don't call in as much anymore on the political stuff unless it's a huge issue like the shooting today on the standard we're going to lower taxes or we're going to deregulate or we're going to reform obamacare there aren't that many calls the shows that get calls are when we talk about music or movies it's when you talk about just basic culture talk about food even that's when you get all the calls People are so tired of the political back and forth, and yet they keep doing it. And yet they feel like they have to, they're almost held hostage by this. Folks, you don't have to be that way. Unplug. Go to independent media. Unplug from the cable news networks. That's what I was, I'm telling my father that in particular, Rimzo, saying that right now. Dad, I hope you're listening. Stop watching Fox News and falling asleep on the couch. It, it is poisoning you. Get out there and find new things reinvent and what's interesting to me Rimzo, and see if you agree with this we only have about a minute or two left is when you go and you really take the time to pick and choose what am i going to consume and what am i going to create you end up coming up with very unique you can come up with very unique perspectives that have to do with your own journey rather than just saying the usual things that the pundit said on cable news exactly i mean the thing that i've been having to answer a lot of why from promoting my first film haunted republic was you know how did somebody that's been in the realm of politics get into uh you know paranormal investigations it's so weird and the thing is because i can 
people put themselves in these mental boxes saying, I am this, therefore I can only do this. No, go out and have fun. When you go out and do that, you get to come out with new stories that people can actually hear, and it's fresh, and it will keep them coming. And if you're a person that wants to get the ratings, well, you know, nothing brings clicks more than, you know, something actually different for one. So it, it's this ability, you know, go out and be the, the, the hero of your own story. Go out and engage life instead of just consuming it. And the world gets, you know, strange sometimes, but even strange is a good thing. Absolutely. Now, folks, my guest this hour has been Rimzo Martinez. Check out his website, rimzorepublic.com, R-E-M-S-O republic.com. Rimzo, thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. And someday we'll have to just sit down and chat like on about a movie series or about a television show or do something completely not about politics. I'm totally game for that, Joey. Thanks again, and War Eagle. War Eagle. Thank you, Rimzo. Folks, thank you for listening to this has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Prince, take us away. Do it.